Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all at Richmond this morning. Good to have you with us. We're excited to share some coffee with you a bit later on and share some of our stories together. Uh, we want to get to know you and share some of our story with you as well. Uh, so please stick around. Uh, have you had a good week? Yeah? That's good. Hey, last week we, got, we uh, invited you to bring something. Do you remember? And we put a couple of reminders up in the Facebook group. We invited you to bring something that represents your vocation or your work. We've been exploring a teaching and practice series called Church Everywhere. Uh, to start this series, Melinda and I tried something a bit different. We, we, we prepared and shared a sermon together. And we got told it sounded a bit like a podcast. Um, I'm not sure if you thought that. Uh, hopefully it was helpful. We spoke about the idea that who we are as followers of Jesus, who we are as part of the Richmond Church family, is the identity that we take with us everywhere, uh, every part of life, every relationship, every place. And this identity has implications for how we live, work, and play. And then two weeks ago, we expanded on this idea of church as family. Uh, but we pushed our practice further as we imagined together what it might look like to live as church's village, that together we can share life and love and invest in all generations. And we paused and prayed for our oldies, and we took time to pray for and think about what, what it might look like for us all, all of us, to be aunties and uncles to all the kids and youth in our church family to invest in the next generation. And last week, Melinda talked about friendship. And we were challenged to think about how we practice friendship rather than thinking about how many friends we have. We were asked to think about being people who would and could practice the art of friendship. We talked about the different dynamics in our relationships and how we could become more like Jesus in the act of friendship. How did you go this week? Did you get better at friendship? Did you think about it? Being church everywhere, being followers of Jesus everywhere, means considering together what gospel power transformation, reconciliation, peace, change, challenge, or contrast we might be called to live and practice as King Jesus people uh, with the people and in the places that we live, work, and play in. Today we're looking at our work. Now I know lots of us like to leave our work in the week and not bring it to church on the weekends. But it's a significant part of our life's rhythm. It's a huge part of what we spend our time doing. Now, you might be paid, unpaid, or paid in kind, but each one of us has a vocation, some place or task or people or cause that we put time and effort and energy towards, some contribution to the greater good, to the flourishing of our communities. In simpler and smaller communities, maybe historically we can think of this, it was easier to see that our work was a significant contribution to the productivity, safety, and flourishing of our neighbours and friends. But as our cities grew and our societies became more complex, our work has become part of more complex, larger systems. Jobs have become more specialised. And because of this, it can be harder to see what part we're playing or whether we're making any contribution at all to the flourishing of our communities. And contrary to popular opinion, especially the opinion of a lot of us on Mondays and maybe Wednesdays, work is not part of the curse. Work is not some unfortunate means to an end, but an integral part of the beautiful design of God for humanity. Because from the very beginning of God's story in the Bible, we see God as worker. 
as creator. The story of God in the Bible begins as with a journal of work. It, goes, it starts by saying, in the beginning, God created. It goes on to describe an activity, a creativity, a purposeful bringing of order to all things. And out of the chaos, the Bible tells us God, as creative genius, brings this beautiful masterpiece, a wonderfully imaginative and colorful reality built for the enjoyment and flourishing of humanity. And God is described throughout the Bible as shepherd and potter and crafter and builder, architect, weaver, gardener, farmer, musician, and artist. God, we see in the Bible, is a, is, a, is a worker whose work is an overflow of his love, his passion, his desire to see humanity live and work and play in flourishing communities. And as the story of the Bible goes on, it tells us that we are made in his image. Our desire for community, our passion for peace, justice, love, beauty, creativity, all comes from deep impressions, from God's fingerprints as he lovingly, carefully, creatively crafted humans as his masterpieces. And so from deep within us is a desire to be productive, to engage in purposeful and creative activities. It's essential to our well-being. Amazingly, generously, this call to work is not as slaves working for God, but as creative agents working as his co-designers, collaborating with him, collaborating on the project called Human Flourishing. In Genesis chapter 2, we see God, the landscaper, creating a garden filled with food that is economically functional. It is good to eat, it says. But it's also aesthetically pleasing. It looked good too, Genesis 2 tells us. And then he invites humanity to work with him in this garden, naming and sorting bringing order by cultivating and conserving the land, an invitation to preserve what was given and to expand it through creative ventures using the resources that God had provided. God generously gifts humanity, gifts us, real responsibility and great freedom in our work. As the story of God in the Bible unfolds, we see humanity embark on a journey of discovery and adventure, expanding, exploring, and enjoying the world in which we live. We see humanity throughout history imaginatively solve problems with all sorts of clever solutions. We see humanity pursue astounding technological advances, design and create beautiful places and buildings and art and gardens and cities. At our best, we see glimpses of humanity taking seriously our responsibility and flourishing in our freedom. But in work, we also see humanity's dark side, don't we? A destructive and deceptive drive to create and build for ourselves, an insatiable appetite for personal gain and wealth and security, a selfish ambition for power and popularity, a callous lack of care or even evil intent for who or what gets in the way of expanding empires and portfolios. A darkness has crept into our work. Our reflection of God's generous creativity marred by a cosmic rebellion against the overflowing love of the grand designer as we selfishly pursue personal safety and wealth and power. 
our insecurities and anxieties and greed and narcissism drive us to see work as a means to an end, as a pathway to success and promotion and fulfillment. For some of us, maybe for many of us, work has become an endless toil, a meaningless pursuit of purpose and paychecks. And so our rhythm of life becomes a roundabout of Monday mornings and hump days, scattered with weekends where we eat and sleep and drink and distract ourselves from the frustrations and burden and meaninglessness of our selfish pursuits and uninspiring work. Sound familiar? Do you see that in our world, in the rhythm of work and life? We've become so disconnected from the responsibility and freedom gifted to us by a loving and generous creator that we find it hard sometimes to even see the weekend coming, let alone a passionate partnership with God himself to co-design with him a habitat for humanity's flourishing. The story of God in the Bible describes a sin disruption to our relationship with God. It distorts our image of ourselves, our understanding of who we are. That breaks down the relationships we have with others. That distracts and dissolves any intent from us to take responsibility for creation and the world around us. We see these disruptions in our work. We see that a lost intimacy with God, a lost partnership with God's purposes has disconnected the spiritual and the secular. In God's design, our spirituality, our work, our rhythm of life is all wrapped up together. But in our reality, Sunday and Monday are divided. The issue? How can we partner with God if we insist on living for ourselves? The disruption has distorted our vision of life. We've become indifferent to a greater cause and rejected the loving responsibility and freedom given to us by the grand designer. We also, in our work, see this confusion within ourselves as we watch others or even ourselves struggle to find our identity and purpose. There's a never-ending dissatisfaction with our current work and we find ourselves becoming either compulsive or senseless. Either we try to find our purpose and wholeness by working too much, becoming habitual workaholics, building meaning in our lives through our busyness, or we disconnect and senselessly drift through our hours, completely indifferent to the cause, to the purpose, to the gift of what we might be involved in. Maybe we find ourselves oscillating between those two conditions. We see the struggle, this sin disruption in our relationship with others as we compete with others for promotion and power and pay. We see our workplaces marred by control, dishonesty, blame-shifting, selfishness, power struggles, and stress. Those that we work with, rather than co-workers, become competitors. Our leaders become masters, and those that work for us become slaves to our will. Instead of a shared vision for flourishing cultures of generosity and collaboration, our workplaces have become littered with stories of backstabbing, bitterness, betrayal, and bad behavior. Also along the way, we've lost sight of our responsibility for what was created and given. In our greed, we ignored the necessary care and conservation and stewarding of natural resources. We've ignored a central part of our created mandate to take responsibility 
for what was given to our care as God's stewards. And so the sin disruption has produced a tension between frustration and satisfaction in our work. Because work has the potential to be filled with meaning and satisfaction, but it can also be full of despair and futility. Feeling good about work? I'm naming what the, the Bible describes to us. I'm also naming what we see, right? In our world, in our workplaces, in different seasons of our own lives, in different jobs that we might have been in, even in ourselves. These tendencies, these disruptions, this brokenness. Fortunately, the story of God in the Bible doesn't just leave us in this place of meaningless pursuit of happiness. Because in King Jesus, we find that we're swept up into, invited into a grand restoration project. The Bible makes it clear that God intends to transform everything. We read that in those three passages this morning. All things, not one part of heaven and earth left untouched, including our work. The salvation that's described in the story of God in the Bible is not restricted to our souls. It is not a pathway to a never-ending holiday, but a remaking of all things, a reconciling of all things, a restoration of rhythm in all things, including our work. We see in these passages and more, God the worker working to resolve conflict, restore relationships, work for justice and just solutions, and issue a renewed invitation to humanity to join in with him as renovators. We see in Jesus' story, him create a new people commissioned to co-create with him this new world. We see Jesus gather together a community who would embody his way and speak his words and live out his dream of a new people living for a new world. Now, this does not mean that all the monotony will be suddenly taken out of mundane work. Nor does it mean that we will no longer experience struggle in our work. But it does better connect our work and our worship with the hope that we might reintegrate those two things. For we see in the stories of God's people in the Bible a call to an integrated rhythm of worship and work. Nowhere does Jesus call us to never-ending worship gatherings as an avoidance of work. And he doesn't call us out of our work to only focus on the spiritual. Instead, we're called to develop healthy rhythms. And it's not just because we like, I like that word here. But because we see life as followers of Jesus as integrated. Mind, body, and soul, relationships, work, rest, and play are all part of a meaningful life and passionate worship of Jesus. And he invites us into this adventure of life and work with him. Now, this has implications for our imagination of the future, which is not an inactive and work-free heaven, but an active and fulfilling eternity of building and planting and creating, continuing to partner with God in invigorating and energizing work. But these ideas also have implications for now. What does this mean for the work I should do in this next season of life? And somehow, somewhere, the church has given the impression that work can be or should be a means to an end to support the real work of the gospel, 
which is the preaching of God's word and the pastoring of God's people. And sometimes, as followers of Jesus, we've developed an unhealthy habits of our understanding our work as a means to an end, a, a way to raise funds for the important mission of the church. Or we've begun to see work as a, primarily a vehicle for evangelism, that that's why we're there. Maybe our exploration of the idea of being a follower of Jesus and being at work only goes so far as being nicer and more honest and slightly less gossipy than everyone else we might work with. And while there is a call on us to partner with one another to support gospel work, of course that's part of our rhythm of life as a church family. And there is a call on us to, wherever possible, share our faith and to live ethically and honestly. I think we're also called to imagine something far more as part of our contribution to Jesus' kingdom work. You are called to be God's agents of reconciliation and change, to be transformers and reformers, to be people of imagination, to be adventurers, to be explorers, to be artists and poets and musicians and baristas, we love baristas, and engineers and designers and nurses and teachers and doctors and leaders and accountants, builders and electricians and people managers and lawyers and members of parliament and counsellors and parents and carers and volunteers and farmers and social workers and retirees and stay-at-homes and all sorts of contributors to a flourishing community that partners in King Jesus' imagination of this new world. King Jesus calls together a new community of people who are commissioned to go into the world and act as his agents of change, living now as signposts of what will be one day, living now to bring beauty and justice and peace and order in a world broken and unjust and filled with chaos and disorder. What does this mean for the kind of work that you do? I think it means we're called to find work that allows us to be part of King Jesus' imagination in those things. And clearly, there are some jobs that don't at all contribute to those things. And there are other jobs where it might be hard to find where they meaningfully contribute to this grand vision of community. So maybe, maybe one of the implications is that you need to think about changing jobs, about rediscovering a vocation that fits with King Jesus' imagination. I think that's only a couple of us, maybe. For most of us, maybe today we need to change the way that we think about our work. The significance of work for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, lies in discerning ways in which we can express through our work stewardship, Service, creativity, witness, truth-telling, preservation, healing, community-building, justice, and peacemaking. These are some of the ways we can be clear expressions of the character of God and his ongoing work in the world. Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your boss since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is King Jesus you are serving. You might feel in your work that your current tasks may be unimportant or trivial, 
but you are not. You have the opportunity to turn your job into an act of worship, a meaningful part of King Jesus' renovation project. Maybe for some of us today, we need to consider our posture towards work. Are you working too hard in order to find meaning and purpose? What's your rhythm of life? Who and what is being left behind? Or maybe you're disconnected, dispassionate, or indifferently wasting your opportunity to meaningfully contribute. Have you ever thought deeply about your work? Have you ever considered that what you do with your time and energy and effort matters? There is a sense in which Marcus Aurelius was right in the gladiatorium that day, that what we do now echoes into eternity. I wish I could say it like him. Work doesn't need to be an incidental and trivial part of life. It can be, I want to say it should be, an incredibly intentional contribution towards the meaning and mission of your life. Now, we've got a whole bunch of people in our church family who are at the stage of life where they might be thinking about their future vocation. Or maybe you're rethinking your vocation. We're told that a lot of us will change careers several times in our lifetimes. You might want to take some time to consider where you can best partner with God in your work. Our experience... I want to say our poor experience, sorry, high school teachers, of high school career counselling suggests that all we need to do is understand who we are, our passions and interests and skills to find out what we might be best suited to. And maybe that's a good place to start. But as followers of Jesus, we have some other filters. Because we might like to ask, where can I contribute to restorative justice, to crafting beauty, to bringing peace or creating order? in my community. And for those of us who are comfortable in our careers, we might need to think carefully about the influences of the work environment that we're in. Those of us who are in places where promotion and power and high levels of pay are involved can find ourselves distant, made more distant perhaps by that environment, from the vulnerable, from the outcast and the downtrodden, And before long, we can find ourselves distracted by the comfort, comfortable in our comparisons and indifferent or ignorant of the weak and the poor and the at risk. But when we look to Jesus and where Jesus did his work, we find that he was most often amongst the sick and the poor and the mistreated that he spent time with society's misfits and outcasts. And as we read the stories and wrestles of the early church, we see a call for followers of Jesus towards the broken and the messy. What does that mean for our work? It means that all of us, maybe, 
should pursue work that rebuilds the lives and communities and opportunities of the least in our world. It means that if our roles include power and privilege and resource, we should, wherever possible, create opportunities, seek justice, and build businesses and workplaces that are generous and benevolent. I think there's an even harder call in all of this to us as followers of Jesus. I think as we consider opportunities, as we're offered roles, we might need to consider giving up those roles those promotions, those pay rates, especially where they increase our comfort at the expense of others. I think there's a call to us to generously partner with those whose work means they don't earn as much or whose work or volunteering or cause that they're called into requires support from others. There is a clear call in the Scriptures to followers of Jesus to generously give away what we could keep for ourselves. This means that we might need to consider work that earns us less, offers us less status, calls us into harder places, and means less security. These are challenging calls. But we're gospel-shaped people, cross-shaped people. I think the call that we hear too means us working together. What does it look like for us to carry our identity as followers of Jesus and as members together of the Richmond Church family into our workplaces? What would it look like to find other people in our church family who do similar work, who face similar challenges, see similar opportunities to gather together, to pray together, to share together, to practice together, to dream together? We want to practice that, don't we? I hope you do, because we're going to do it now. We're going to uh, invite our church family to gather together in uh, groups, uh, categories of vocation. Now, I understand that trying to sort people doesn't work, because there's plenty of you that will break all the rules. So there is some freedom in this, right? But there's some obvious categories. So we'll start with those, and then we'll work through it together. What we're going to do is invite you to gather together, find out from each other who else in our church family is doing similar kind of work, who's experiencing the same kind of ethical challenges, the same kind of decisions that are being faced, the same kind of opportunities in front of us to encourage one another, to teach one another, maybe for some of us to find other Christians who've been in that career of vocation for longer than we have to learn from. 